was on a podcast recently. Um, have you heard of the one-on-one podcast before? No. We had, we had him on sitting now, the the host. But um, it's always funny because he's kind of a conspiracy guy. So it, his audience are really conspiracy. So um, mm. it's amazing. Like we spend a good chunk at the beginning of the interview talking about how Alistair Crowley gets misrepresented the whole time um, by those sort of types of people. You know, like how there's like kind of, uh, the classic ones, the kill 150 children, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember the exact figure, but... I know I know the quote you're talking about, yeah. And he's not talking about literally killing 150. No. <laughs> but you know, all these people think, you know, he's talking about um, manually uh, pleasuring himself, let's put it that way. <laughs> um, and they obviously the 150 children or million children, whatever it is. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's, uh, um, but it's mad how, how many people in the audience just didn't get that message and uh, the amount of kind of wrong Crowley facts that they're spouting at me oh this guy's deluded and they'll, they'll give you a quote that's not even a Crowley quote it's, it's like, some of them like there's one I can't remember it's like a blonde boy and uh, uh, is the best type of sacrifice or something like that and it's like oh yeah 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 that doesn't exist there is no quote where he says yeah. that so that's, yeah. <laughs> It's funny. Yeah, but you know, that... don't you think don't you think Crowley had the intention of doing that when he when he made that that quote? Um he's like the people that get it will get it and the people that don't get it will like ah, they'll freak out and Crowley loves freaking yeah. people out. It's it's what he called well, it's what a lot of occultists call an occult blind, isn't it? It's like um it's controlling. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing, I mean, it's like I said in his show, the, the thing the other reason he did did that uh, did that rather was because um at the time in England, it, had he written masturbation, which is what yeah. he meant, he yeah. would have been prosecuted. You know, yeah. it was that would have been under the obscene, you know, yeah. materials act or whatever in the UK. So he had to hide stuff like that. And yeah. so obviously, the, it's kind of a double edged sword, isn't it? He sort of protected himself at the time, but now he's. Well, it, <laughs> it's also a funny, uh, a funny moment where slang slips out of the culture because there's a folk song, Nottam in Town. Um, which Davy Graham recorded with Shirley Collins, um, but it was a Gene Ritchie, uh, I think originally recorded in Kentucky. But anyway, uh, the end of the song, it's a like a rhyming puzzle song. And the end of the song has a reference. It's the same reference of like um, 6,000 or 10,000 have died that never were born. Hmm. And that's that's the that's what it's talking about. Yeah. So it's funny that that like that was kind of a traditional like folk slang you know and now people are like oh they were killing kids like no no, <laughs> no it's like, and the, the, the thing that kind of struck me uh, sort of reading the comments in his on his youtube channel was that conspiracy theorists are almost like occultists aren't they in in, yeah. in, in, in oh, their yeah. own weird way they kind of they're trying to decode these cryptic yeah. um symbols and signs in the same way that occultists are but the, the difference seems to me is that with an occultist, they have like, or a magician, let's say, they have like a a, a goal in mind. You know, there's a mm-hmm. they're decoding something so they can do a magical operation or you know do a ritual or whatever, and there's like a, a, a definitive outcome. Whereas the conspiracy theorists, I don't know what the the kind of the product at the end of it is, if that makes sense. Like it's kind of truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose Capital truth. T. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's um, so yeah, maybe. Occult uh, conspiracy theorists are the new the new occult. In well, the- there's always, there's the always been about- a crossover. I don't know if you've noticed. Yeah, those yeah, cultures definitely. have always crossed over. Yeah, you've got the Leo Taxel uh, thing that A.E. Waite wrote against. You know, the anti Masonic 
for in the the 1900s yep yeah and that and that's that's the interesting thing too about like the the christian spiritual warfare stuff where a lot of it just drifts straight into like occult practice Mm -hmm. um you know so like the conspiracy theorists are are because one of the things about the conspiracy theory is it gives agency to these unseen forces, right? And and it, it it's an interaction with that. And like the the idea that these things could be happening in secret and having power over the world, you know, and then you discover it. But it's a weird disempowering vision of that because, you know, there's these others that are hidden that are, are manipulating these forces. And, you know, here you are the weak, you know, uh, innocent citizen or whatever who's trying to to tease your way through this stuff it's really and it's really weird too because the i mean when i was doing the santa muerta research um it became very obvious to me how even with mexico and the u.s how translation and language barriers like completely create different like worlds that like you could be in the Texas border. And if you don't read Spanish, you don't know that the Mexican military is like moving on like cartels, like right, you know, maybe 10 miles away from you. They've got tanks, they've got whatever. And you would never have any idea about that, you know, cause it's in the, it's in the Spanish language news, but it's not in the English news. Mm-hmm. Right. And like with this, with the conspiracy stuff, it just hits this weird spot where you, if you actually have an awareness of, you know, the globe as multiple cultures and societies and nation states and all the rest of it. Um, it, it only works in like one language, you know what I mean? Like maybe two, um, but it doesn't work for an actual, you know, vision of what's going on in the world. It, it only creates this worldview for this cultural segment that, that sort of fits that in, you know? Mm. um with stuff like that the mis- the misunderstanding of what Crowley's saying with you know kids being killed um imagine the difference of it you know what i mean like when people are talking about like you know conspiracies happening in europe or whatever and you've got all these different you know in the u.s it's really easy to just be like oh in europe that happened it happened in france and then they influenced britain but you don't think about the fact that like french people are speaking french people in britain are speaking english you know like there's cultural divides they're not necessarily friendly you know, it gets very, very strange and very kind of insular. Mm. It's interesting. The other thing is that it feels to me like it feels like Alistair Crowley's old hat now in terms of conspiracy theory. It feels like mm-hmm. when you have actual, there are actual occult conspiracies, aren't there? I mean, and like as far as, you know, we can look at Dugan and people like that and traditionalism mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And Steve Bannon, all these sorts of people, they're all sourcing a lot of their stuff from actual occult material and mm-hmm. it feels like Crowley just it, 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 it feels more I mean Crowley's I know it's a he was very Tory conservative yeah. but his, his philosophy seems very left-wing doesn't it it doesn't particularly well, well libertarian maybe I don't know it's kind very of, libertine I would say yeah yeah, yeah. It, yeah it doesn't it doesn't feel like he's any kind of I don't know I've, I've never really seen the um connection myself i just think it's just a like i always say it's a convenient boogeyman isn't it i think yeah a lot of the time they love to trot him out like if you listen to some of these uh, conspiracy podcasts and shows <coughs> which i don't as much as i used to because i've kind of grown really tired of them but um occasionally i do just because it's good entertainment and it's like and it's good to like put your finger on the pulse and see what are they thinking now you know because mm. it kind of changes it's, it has seasons like you know like every quarter check back in and find out what's the new shit you know it's like <laughs> yeah you really 
And first, um, first thing during COVID, the first place I went when it first started, and we all started to get locked down and everything. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh my god, the conspiracy theory is going to be crazy at the moment. Mm -hmm. I've got. A, I spent hours watching Alex Jones and David Icke and all yeah. just to see how crazy it got, and it really yeah. got, it got pretty crazy. But yeah, as, ex yeah. as expected. But uh, yeah, I mean, the 5G stuff, the 5G COVID stuff. Oh, well, dude, yeah. like right after the pandemic started, I don't want to throw this guy under the bus, but I have a friend that I've, I've known for four, almost 40 years, um, an occultist. I, I mean, we go way back. Like we go back to the Golden Dawn days. And that was like early in my life. I was in my late 20s. And um, he calls me up and, and I figure we're just going to shoot this shit. Hey, what about this crazy stuff? You know, and. He starts laying into me about like 5G and that it's activating COVID's being activated by 5G. And then like, it's just like he, he was right on the QAnon path all of a sudden. And I, I don't know how that happened. I finally just said, said, dude, I can't talk to you. Like we can't talk. Like call me back when you, when you regain your senses or don't. <laughs> and I've never talked to him since, yeah. but um, yeah, it was, so, it was so crazy to me. Like so many people just jumped on board to that whole thing so quickly and it just came out of nowhere. Like I heard, I remember like, cause I live in a kind of a small hippie town and the 5g thing was a, a concern for like a small radical fringe here. They were like, Oh, the 5g is about to happen. And, it, and they were handing papers out in the streets, leaflets, you know, and talking about like when 5g turns on, all these things are going to happen to us. And I'm just laughing because I know the technology and I'm like, people have no idea what they're talking about. But then all of a sudden they're like, it went from a small vocal fringe to all of a sudden, like people I didn't expect were like grasping onto that. And I think a lot of it was the fear, you know, when, when COVID first started, people forget this. When COVID first started, we had no fucking idea what was going on. Nothing. Yeah. We had no idea. All we knew is that the bodies were stacking up at the hospitals. That's what we knew. Do you remember? Do you remember the pictures oh, yeah. of New York where they were running out of grave sites and Italy? You know, I mean, Italy, but people like you know the hospitals are all overwhelmed. Yeah. There. I remember that's what we saw. Yeah, yeah, over here it was just Italy. Italy looked really bad. Yeah, and and China looked really bad. If you were if you're paying attention in December of 2019, um, there was a there was a doctor from China that was posting on Imager and other places where he was posting video talking about there's this thing happening here in Wuhan. And, you know, they're not talking about it and we've got bodies piling up and, and then people are like, I don't know if that's real. And, you know, it seemed like he was sincere. And then sure enough, he was sincere. And then the guy disappeared. I heard he died of COVID eventually. Um, but when that started happening, like the conspiracy theorists, like just jumped on that so fast. And it was people that I least expected to be on that train were jumping on that train. And it was fear. Everybody was freaked out. Nobody knew what was going on. And they were yeah. just panicking. And unfortunately, when some people panic, they grasp at the nearest thing, no matter how ridiculous it may be. It's like we were saying before, though, so, so many people have gone back to Christianity because of COVID. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And it's so many people became – because I mean, the biggest thing with COVID was the um, – for me, was watching places like Facebook and seeing suddenly how radicalized people became – one direction or the other it was really How interesting. quickly too yeah it was very strange there's this, this sort yeah. of like huge tribalism kind of kicked in politically yeah. speaking as i mean yeah. people yeah. that have never 
I've never seen post anything political before. Well, I never sudden, suspected. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All of a sudden they're like hard, like progressives or they're hard kind of conservatives or hard, you yeah. know, it's really, yeah. it, it's, it was really strange to see. Um, it divide. I mean, yeah, it divided lots of people, I think. Quite I mean, to this day, there are my social circle is smaller now because of that whole period of time. Oh yeah, where same. I just yeah. I had to just cut people off and say, look, you know, if you ever come around, we'll have a conversation. Because you know, I I don't I don't I don't keep friends just because they think like me. Um, if I did, I wouldn't have any friends to be honest. But um, I keep I keep a diverse set of friends who think of a lot of different things. But there's there's a cutoff point that I have like. If you become didactic and start preaching all this hate and crazy nonsense, I just don't, I don't want to hear it. I don't yeah, hate yeah. you. I just don't want to hear it. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, it was insane. I mean, even I kind of fell for a little bit of it at one point for a very brief period of time. When <laughs> I think I think if I'm I'm just naturally reactive to things. So if I'm told one thing's bad, I instantly go yeah. and look at it. And if I don't see that, yeah. you know, I don't see that it's that bad at first, then, you know, I immediately react to it. It's kind of a childish response. I need to kind of work on that a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, so I think my, um, yeah, my initial thing was, you know, I was like watching a lot of Joe Rogan and uh, Sam Harris and people like that at the time. And in yeah. retrospect, I'm like, ah, but you know, it's because I was just reacting at the time uh, right. without really delving into it and you know thinking about it and yeah so even i was sort of jumped in the fray briefly and i was like whoa whoa whoa, hang on a minute <laughs> and pulled myself out of it like which is yeah. why I, I kind of stopped posting on places like facebook for so long because i was like yeah. i actually need to sit back and actually look at you know sort of pull myself back and look at it a bit more you know holistically i guess and see well, what are these people's motivations and blah 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 and look into the background of it all and then once i did that it kind of really changed my perspective on all of that kind of stuff well you know that's the thing it's like for me I saw, I saw like, cause I have people, I have friends that, that are kind of right leaning libertarian and other people that are like hard leftist. And this whole thing, like really set both of those camps off at the same time. And I was like, well, I can't get down with either one of these perspectives. So suddenly I had no friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah kind of the rise of the centrist is what people called it, isn't it? Like the, yeah. a lot of people kind of stayed in the middle, which yeah. I think, Generally speaking, people are kind of center leaning one way or the other, aren't they? I mean, that's kind of the way I've always seen it, but more or less, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, and then that, which is why it was so weird to suddenly see so many people suddenly going hard one way Veer or the off other, the center and go either hard left or hard right, yeah, yeah. And then some of those people who knew each other were, were warring and they were trying to pull you in on their side, mm -hmm. and you're just sitting here going, Look, I'm skeptical of this whole thing, yeah, like you know. I mean, you know, we, we had it rough here in the United States because we had Trump. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That didn't make any better. Not help. No. <laughs> you know, no, and, yeah. and he was and he was like, oh, the, the 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 COVID thing, it'll be gone tomorrow. You just wait and see, you know, and I'm just like, oh, my God, what do we what do we have here? Well, we have Boris as well, who's yeah, going around, yeah. who's pretending it didn't exist and hugging people. And yeah. Then it. <laughs> yeah. We were then, all caught on a ship of fools, all of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The irony with that was all of a sudden there was this weird sentiment. Oh, poor Boris. And it was like, hang on, you hated him before. Yeah. You're, you're meant to be like, and it was like, it's this weird sympathy. I swear that whole thing was manufactured, but it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> and that was during our time where we had about 15 prime ministers as well, you know, in, in three weeks. Or yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And hopefully we're going to get a, a better one soon. But uh, You guys were going through that and we were going through a president we couldn't seem to get rid of. Mm, yeah. <laughs> he didn't want to leave. <laughs> and plus you had the whole storm in the 
the capital and all of that stuff. Yeah, that didn't yeah. help either. Yeah, yeah, that caused lots of arguments as well. Yeah, so it's a wild time. <laughs> Thinking back at it, it feels like, I mean, it's a wild time right now, obviously, but that yeah. felt really wild. That was just something different. You well, know? you know, and I think right now what I'm seeing is, um, and this is not new, Dave, you know about this. It's like anytime there's any kind of conflagration happening in the, in the Middle East, especially, especially if it involves Israel and, and anybody else, then the the, uh, the end timers, like all of a sudden they go nuts. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I keep up with that because as I probably said before, I, I grew up with a, with a grandmother on my dad's side who was a Pentecostal fundamentalist, you know, and she used to she used to take me to see Estes Perkel and you know like I got to see some weird shit because of her and I, I never you know I just kind of like sat through it and I, I was I found it entertaining and I don't think she knew that that's why I would go along with it but um, yeah so some of the stuff I used to hear and and then all of a sudden I'm hearing it again this end time stuff so I've heard it before it's it's not new. But anytime there's there's even a shudder happening between Israel and anybody, it's it's Jesus is coming tomorrow. We all got to get ready and sharpen our swords. Blah 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 blah. And, and we're we're at we're at it again. You know, here we are again. Yeah. So this this those people get wound up about all kinds of things. So they're wound up again. They were wound up about COVID. They were wound <laughs> up about Trump. They were wound up about January sixth. Now they're wound up about fucking Israel and, and Gaza. You know, they're always going to have something they're wound up about because they really want the end of the world. <laughs> they're very <Yeah>. unhappy people. <laughs> it's we don't have the we don't have the 2012 uh, secular apocalypse, though. What's the what's the uh, secular slash uh, new age? I haven't heard one. Yeah, I don't we don't really have a 2012 kind of thing. I think yeah. a lot of people that were probably on that train in in 2012 or have gone Christian. How did how did so many people survive that? The I mean writers. Do you remember there was this whole movement? We did a show. Yeah. Do you remember we did oh, a CCN yeah. where we yeah. on the day and we were sort of ridiculing these people. But it was like Daniel Pinchbeck and yeah. Graham yeah. Hancock and all these people were all really Terrence big on McKenna. The yeah, yeah, yeah. They were they were all on it. But how did they? Because they were all like dead set on like this great spiritual awakening happening on you know dude this is this is this is a thing this is the thing so back in way back in the day when when i was doing ong's hat in the 90s i I made this bet with nick herbert i said i'm going to come out with a document that says it's all it's all a trick it's just it's a game and and then i'm going to and then i'm going to go back on that and we'll just we'll, we'll hit a bump and then we'll go right on and People will accept it. And I did that. And that's what happened. And Nick just looked at me. He's like, how did you know that? And I'm like, if you look at the history of this kind of stuff, it happens every time. Yeah. There's like, there comes a time where, where there's a renunciation. And then there comes a time where there's a renunciation of the renunciation. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's part of the pattern. It has to be there. If I'm doing a parody of conspiracy theories, that has to be there. There has to yeah. be that pattern. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean I, this, this goes on all the time. I was uh, I was contributing the editor to Reality Sandwich and like the post 2012 stuff, and they just kept on rolling. Like there was this before the acquisition or after? What's that? Is this um, before the acquisition? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 yeah that, okay. Yeah. I couldn't even get my like. I tried to get my stuff taken down after they got bought out by that um, yeah. whatever that Delia or some venture fund or something. 
Yeah, it was some kind yeah. of no, it wasn't even a venture fund. It was like a like a weird startup group that was trying to market psychedelics. And I yeah. was like, that's I never like I was writing on Psy, like take my stuff down, and they were like, No, we have copyright. And I was like, damn. Okay. Um <laughs> Wow. But uh yeah, a lot of people were like, Take our stuff down. This isn't the same magazine. It was yeah, it was a mess. But yeah, I mean, they just they just skirted right over it. They didn't even they didn't even address it. There was no article like, you know, like they don't have to. Yeah, they just they just kept rolling. And I mean, honestly, they didn't even think about it. Pinchback and I mean, Pinchback kind of did. Like, I think he wrote a little bit of like, oh, it was a theory, and we were mm-hmm. working with ideas, and the change is still here. It's just ambient. Um, but uh, you know, as a as an organization that had gone so hard into that, including like mm-hmm. hosting events and the rest of it, just like you know, now that's over and we're just moving on to the next, the next. Well, thing. Daniel leaned hard into it. He did a whole book about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they, Terrence yeah. with his time wave zero thing, like he leaned in hard Yeah. and he just kind of like, I don't, I don't, I mean, he died a little bit after that. Right. Mm-hmm. But he yeah. just like, you never heard him come out and do a formal retraction or no. apology or anything. No. It, was like, it was like that. Who was the Christian guy in um, in America that predicted the world was going to end like twice, and people like were throwing which away one? money? Yeah, which one? <laughs> there's been, there's been several. Are you <laughs> talking about the Blood Moon? The Blood Moon stuff that was fantastic. I love that. Like, I mean, you know, Joe's like you're talking about the kind of enjoying the the entertainment value of it, you know, mm-hmm. or, or just that, at the graphics that come out are what I'm really interested in. You know, like the oh um, yeah the warrior bride of Christ stuff where it's like a woman in like full armor with a sword, you know, and like flames and like a flaming lion. Yeah. It's great. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> um, and the blood moon apocalypse, which was the four blood moons in a year that matched up with uh, different festival times. Um, it was, that was great. The, the different diagrams you had of the blood moons and the, the rest of it. Um, oh, right. I, I didn't see that one. I don't think. No, what yeah, I was thinking was, of was uh, he was like a TV televangelist. That um, yeah, this again, was which this one? Was, um, <laughs> yeah, this was Haggie. Yeah, this was James Haggie, who was doing okay. the Four Blood Moons. So, yeah, I, I think I know who Ken's talking about. There's a documentary about him. He's done. I think he's done three retractions. He died, he, didn't he? Um, yeah, he he retract. Well, he he was proved wrong, and then he he was. Like, I don't understand what happened, and then repredicted the end yeah. of the world was. I think be he's like, done that yeah. twice now, and, and the <laughs> yeah. church still exists. Like, yeah, people yeah. still go to the church and still support it. Yeah, no, and, they, and they take his he take his word for it. It's like, well, he actually forgot to carry the three when he was doing the math. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, and loads of people Mark like loads of people blew all their credit cards and stuff, didn't they? Because yeah, they were yeah, so convinced yeah. that it was actually going to happen. And yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, and he came a, out and did like a Sam Bagman Freed kind of apology. He's like, "Well, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to do that." I'm so sorry. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry the world didn't end. <laughs> I really thought it was going to, but it will. It will. It's going yeah, to this time. I got it. I got on. it this time. <laughs> it's, you know, though, like, it, have you guys ever just entered that mind space and, like, enjoyed it, you know? Oh, yeah. Just kind of just ridden in it. Like, being in, yeah. when I first moved to Georgia, like, I spent a lot of time in a cabin in the woods just kind of, like, listening to Christian radio mm-hmm. and just, just, living in it you know like mm-hmm. not not grasping hold of it but just like soaking in the atmosphere it's pretty amazing i mean it really because yeah. it gives you like a it gives you a roadmap 
you know i mean just like go do your job and the world's gonna end like that's it that's all you got to worry about you know it's weird right before the pandemic i i kind of did that with um I, I discovered this whole subculture of end of the world um uh post post rapture or rapture post rapture you know it kind of like the hal Lindsay stuff but it's it was, mm-hmm. it's like fiction there's like a whole fiction culture like yeah, you can get yeah. the get this stuff on audible.com. There's like these audiobooks and they're really cheap. Yeah. So I was like, I was kind of like going through them and like, but I was listening to it and I'm like, so, so it's prepper. It's definitely prepper culture meets um, end of world Christian culture. Yeah. Cause it's like, they go into detail about, you know, have, have ingots of silver at your disposal because money will be no good. And, you know, uh, you know, do the prepper thing, have water, have food, have bullets, you know, all that kind of stuff, which, Weirdly enough, I do anyway, and I'm, I've been accused of being a prepper by a couple friends and whatever. Um, I just do that because, like, as we found out during the pandemic, ammo became almost impossible to get, at least around yeah. here. You know, and I'm a deer hunter, so like, I'm like, shit, now what? You know, so yeah. I just stock ammo. This is something I, think, I do. I think the thing everyone rushed to buy here in in England was toilet paper. Weirdly. Huge. Like, we had that too. Yeah. 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 It was like, you couldn't get it anywhere. And I remember we actually genuinely ran out at one point and I found a big <laughs> load of it in the supermarket and I was like scanning it in. We have the self scanning uh, tools yeah. here. I was scanning it in and I looked over and a couple walked past me and they just gave me the dirtiest look. I was like, no, no, <laughs> we genuinely do need it. We got the last <laughs> one. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, but they were like, oh, they're like tutting at me. Like as if I would sort of, I was part of this kind of, panic like panic buying thing and it was like no no we actually need it it's like yeah oh god yeah no it's mad one thing you know i was talking about i was just talking a little bit to joe about this before but when i was talking about looking at this group i'd found nearby in the woods i started looking into like and we're talking about order of nine angles i was looking at like what other kind of groups are there that are um you know kind of super right wing i suppose you Mm -hmm. know out there have you guys ever heard of a guy called Miguel Serrano before? What's the name? Miguel Serrano. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have Isn't yeah. He, he's like esoteric Hitlerism, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, that, uh, that movement really? is insane. Yeah. And yeah. I was talking to you yeah. about it on um, Facebook, Dave, about the, um, if you go on archive.org, Oh, it's like yeah, yeah. it's like a festering ground of Nazi occult yeah. propaganda. It's like I've never seen so much in my life, and it's all just there. Anyone yeah. can get oh, it. Dude, archive has like James Mason. It has all that yeah. stuff. Like mm-hmm. all that, all those old um, uh, shortwave broadcasts are recorded on archive. Like I'm really, I mean, I was gonna say, yeah, I'm surprised, but I'm honestly glad that they don't cut people off. So whatever. Yeah, I've only just started looking into it, but this Serrano guy is—he's—he's he's something else, isn't he? He's a, yeah, it seems it's... like there were two two major players. There was a female Indian lady. I can't mm-hmm. remember her name now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, I know uh, who you're talking about. It's something well, Debbie, right? Like, yeah, Debbie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've actually and read her stuff, and it, it's um, it's like um, it's like um, Blavatsky if Blavatsky wasn't worried about PR. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's what Bulvaski really wanted to say, you know. Mm. You can yeah, tell. but it's insane. I mean, there's it seems to be various versions of esoteric Hitlerism, but mm-hmm. um, one of the one of the the, the prevalent one seems to be that Hitler was a um, 
it's like a spiritual entity and the body of hitler was a separate was the vehicle for the spiritual entity and mm-hmm. um the, the body didn't realize what the spirit was doing trying to do and yeah he, his spirit was like some kind of like spirit that come from, it was like almost like an archon or something that come down and was like trying to revive the lost Aryan race and all this kind yeah, of it's like, like, yeah 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 it's it's insane I'd, I'd never heard of any of this stuff before well did yeah. how much of that is in morning of the magicians some of it so a little bit i mean because there's hints yeah. to that and i think even like reich's um book on fascism kind of points to the fact that like you know there was a spiritual element or whatever you know to that well, that, that uh, what was that guy's name that did the spear? Uh, Trevor Ra- Trevor Ravenscroft. Oh, Trevor, yeah, did, Trevin, did yeah. the spear of destiny and the cup of destiny and all that. Like he he goes into that somewhat about yeah. you know some of those weird occult groups that were supposedly around, and you know take a, as much of that with a grain of salt as you as you should. <clears throat> but there was he did actually do some research that was interesting, which I followed some of that up, and I'm like, oh, there really were these people. Okay, but what's ironic is. It's, sort of circles back to the conspiracy thing it's like there's some actual bad guy occultists <laughs> it's like yeah. why aren't you focusing on them like why are you yeah. looking at the kind of oto and places well, like, it, has, it has it has repercussions mm, right yeah, i true. mean like i mean joe knows this like how many people talk about Ang's hat as some kind of grand conspiracy and joe's this like puppet master yeah but they never contact him right like, mm. I mean, like you know and that's the thing it's much easier just to create these like weird sort of worldviews you know and like just foster this this kind of thing in like a, a closed circle because if you actually talk to the people then you realize very quickly like oh wait this isn't you know if, if there is something going on here it can't be that because this is not you know i mean that was um barry taff who was a, a ucla parapsychologist who uh was on the case that inspired the movie the entity the book in the movie the entity mm. um and uh he was in Thelma Moss's lab in that. And he got, you know, looped into the kind of like post remote viewing revelation, like paranoia about MK Ultra and the rest of it. And people, you know, some people had said like, oh, well, Barry Taff was at UCLA and he did this and this and he was MK Ultra. And his, his quip about it was like, I'd have better health insurance. You know, like I wouldn't be like I wouldn't yeah. be begging for money to get glaucoma surgery if I was part of some kind of grand conspiracy, you know, and it's just but, you know, that doesn't matter to the conspiracy because they're not actually going to talk to Barry. They're not going to look into his stuff. They're not going to know where he's at now. He's a name that they can place into a narrative, yeah. you know, and that and that can like spin out, you know, the same as the ATO. I mean, if you my time in the idea they always just seemed to be pretty broke to me they didn't own any buildings they didn't own any you know there was yeah. like yeah that's they i never knew like, any oto people that yeah. had money to be honest everyone no, was always yeah. broke as shit yeah i mean i'm sure some of them you know have careers and stuff like that but as an organization yeah. they never seem to have a massive amount of money i mean it not on the anywhere near the scale of like you know even a cult a, a standard cult would have like yeah. you know uh, yeah. A, a, a bit of a chunk of cash and, and a building at least yeah like, <laughs> as far as i could tell like oh, the ato didn't have any buildings you know that, that no there's no like you know address that you can go to as a as a member of the ato mm-hmm. like a that has a space Every, everything was always rented so it was like you know like in above like one there's one in london that was like above a cafe like a vegan cafe in um brighton we just went to people's houses you know so it was how how i don't understand and again like you say they could just contact the ato and say 
we, yeah. we've got these problems like can you I mean, hell, even Scientology it? owns property, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of property, I think. Well, you know, like <laughs> so, a lot of it, it occurred to me recently because um, I've been, I kind of was thinking about Terry Thornley uh, recently. That's why I dedicated uh, my last book to him. Um, a lot of this kind of thinking goes back to Jim Garrison. He had that weird theory about proximity. Like if you lived around the corner from where a crime was committed, you probably had something to do with it. It was, yeah. it's really, it's really a weird theory, but um, I see conspiracy theorists practicing that all the time. And people have um, thrown accusations at me, for example, okay. I used to hang out at Stanford back in the late eighties, early nineties. I knew people, I knew people that were, you know, SRI adjacent, you know, like if you're going to be hanging out in Stanford, that's going to happen. Um, but you know, because of that, I'm somehow connected to SRI, which I'm not, I mean, I know some people or I know people that know people at the best, you know, um, and that's it. And, and I, I don't know anything about what they do. I've never been involved in anything they do. The closest I ever got was studying, uh, lucid dreaming with Stephen LaBerge. That's as close as I got, you know, and there was, yeah. um, there was some people at uh, Stanford, a, a student group called, they used to call themselves Milber, Mil, Milbrook West that were working with Stan Krippner and people like that. So, you know, I guess like through, through like a, a connection of a connection, it's like, it's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon, just because I'm living in the area. I know people that know people, you know, and then by, and by the, the garrison logic, I'm in, you know, I, I'm involved according to his logic. And, and a lot of people use that logic. I'm oh yeah, yeah. Conspiracy theory. Yeah. I was having a conversation with someone earlier that said um, the conspiracy community would always look at me with um, suspicion now because I've come out and because I never used to say tell anyone that I used to be in the OTA. Um, yeah. And since I've kind of come out and said that, I've already started to get emails <laughs> from people and oh, uh -oh. You're, you're, you're just yeah, it's like <laughs> I don't know. It's to me, it's it's I don't know. It just seems crazy to me. But what's interesting, another thing when I was looking through this esoteric a lot of the kind of right wing kind of darker conspiracy stuff all seems to link back to this guy, Rene Gounon. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, I'm pretty sure. And there's, if you guys heard of this thing, the mystic polar tradition before, did I talk about this last time? I don't remember, but I don't um, think, you, I don't know if, you, know if you talked about it last time, but yeah, I've heard of it. Magic of the North. It's like this yeah. thing that seems to be kind of um, picking up steam at the moment. Yeah. And so I started, I, there's another YouTuber who's been on sitting now. He kind of co-hosted an episode with me called symbolic studies. And he gave me a reading list of stuff. So I started to read through these books and it didn't matter which one I read. It all went back to traditionalism to, to mm -hmm. Renee, you know, and it's, it's really fascinating how that stuff's creeping in. Like the traditionalism well, stuff. Well, I mean, that, that kind of, that was um, like, we know, and Evola and all them, like back in disinfo.com and the disinformation uh, book of lies and all that stuff, mm -hmm. they were, you know, they were heavily promoted in that, that stuff too. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a re return of that kind of thing to the, the pop culture. Um, but it's weird with Gwinnon because he, um, he was actually, uh, I think he ended his days in Egypt, like yeah, as a he became chief. a Sufi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, it's weird to see his stuff re. You know, I mean, he did have his problems, but um, his work. You know, he was really involved early on in like Catholic traditionalism, mm -hmm. um, with Amazing. different kind of symbolic analysis of 
cathedrals and that not in the Falconelli tradition but like in you know actual catholic like groups coming yeah. out like contemplative catholic stuff yeah um and then switched over and his was a mathematician you know um it's weird to yeah it's weird how these figures are getting pulled in to kind of street culture level discussions you know that aren't like well i think it's because he he got cited by um Oh, I've got his Steve name. Steve Bannon. Bannon and by the Russian guy. Was I've forgotten his name. Oh, Dugan. Dugan. Yeah. Dugan. Yeah, yeah. Both of them. Yeah. Sort of cite Gunon, don't they? And it, yeah. Um, was uh, was I think he gets a more of a bad rap because of Evola, doesn't he? I think Evola was mm -hmm. the kind of super. He's like the sort of super right wing. Yeah, guy, Evola kind of yeah. took it to the next level. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's like <laughs> let's go it. ride the tiger with the fascists. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, big well, time. His, yeah, of all his whole thing was was the rise of like a like a true paganism, yeah, like a true fascist paganism of like you know the strongest. Which Nazism and, kind of started out like that, and then and then if you if, the weird thing was like Hitler was like in bed with all these kind of occultists, and then all of a sudden he decided like oh no we need to get rid of them, and and so like he did a purge and got rid of like all the occult leaning people. Well, you know, except for Himmler, <laughs> who was very occult leaning. But, um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's really weird, dude. It's like it, it's the same thing. Like you see all this return to Orthodox Catholicism, like uh, people that the people that I whose names I won't use, but they're well known um, in the environmental movement who were pagans that suddenly like one day flipped and all of a sudden they became Orthodox Christians. I'm just like, where the fuck did that come from? Yeah. yeah, I didn't, you know, I still don't get it, but. That happened but a lot in like the, the Fiendes de Cow, like French scene, like Hoisman's, you know, he wrote Le Bas, um, The Damned and, and that, and uh, a lot of, you know, kind of the decadent literature. Um, and then he, he converted to fairly staunch Catholicism mm -hmm. um, after the I wonder if it's. Who was um, uh, didn't Frater Akkad do that too? Or he went to Buddhism, right? But there were some other folks even in like the yeah, I think it was Buddhism, but yeah, yeah. That but but I mean like hardcore Buddhism, like yeah, not you know not like I'm a Buddhist, <laughs> like, like yeah. actual yeah. actual practitioner, you know, practitioner. yeah, not like an I'm an Alan Watts kind of Buddhist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have this theory that people are kind of desperate for authenticity at the moment. And that, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, but I, I mean, can the, you blame them? I mean, no, really, yeah. if you like, again, we were talking about pulling your head out and kind of looking at it from stepping back and looking at it. Like, you know, somebody, somebody recently was talking to me, uh, an interview I was doing for a magazine, and they were, they were like, they were certain that I was a transhumanist for some reason, you know. And I'm like, why would you think that? And they're like, well, you came out of Silicon Valley. I'm like, that was, that was. 15 years ago it's like you know yeah when i was in the early 90s late 80s early 90s i was like steeping in leary and wilson and mckenna and i was like definitely on board in the early 90s like this is the new thing this is the cyber shamanism and we're gonna you know we all we all believe that or we wouldn't have got involved with the internet i think i mm -hmm. i wouldn't have i mean you know I, I can i can say the reason i got into programming was because of that because because Bob Wilson told me to program something once when I said, I wish there was a thing. And he goes, why don't you learn to program and program it? And I'm like, okay. 
<laughs> and that's that's why I started programming because Robert Dante Wilson said, "Why don't you do it yourself, you lazy fuck?" Basically, that's what he was saying. <laughs> Instead of wishing, just make it happen. Um, and you know, even I, like like fifteen years ago, started to back up and say, well, "I don't know if I want to put a chip in my head. I don't know if that's a good idea. I don't think we should burn the planet down so we can go to Mars. That's not a good idea." Like I started looking at all these bad ideas that were being propagated by these people out of Silicon Valley. <laughs> None of it was good idea, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to rethink all this. And so I did. Um, but for some reason, people have this perception that I'm a transhumanist. I don't know why. But yeah, it's, it is interesting that this authenticity thing, I think, because I mean, this is stuff. I mean, even like Baudrillet was talking about this years ago, wasn't he? I mean, he was talking about kind of people becoming so sort of almost like allergic to the kind of fakeness of the world that yeah. they'll all end up yeah. trying to find this kind of returning to this kind of core. And again, that's kind of what Gunon also said. If you look at yeah, it's, it's kind the of weird, interesting. The weird thing overlap. with that though is the authenticity that, that if you have to look for authenticity, the yeah. only thing you're going to find is a product. Right. You know, you're finding right. yet another simulacra. Like you're not like, that's not the actual authenticity. Like the Santa Muerta stuff again, like um, when I was looking at the living tradition of people who were devoted to Santa Muerta in Mexico, um, it was all over the place because it was it, it was decentralized. So, you know, you have a vision and here's, you know, a handful of things that you can pull into that or whatever you're, you know, people who were more traditional had their own sort of take on it. People who were more... Uh, like in the sort of marketplace or like in the city and that had their own idea about it. Mm -hmm. And there was no authentic tradition, but then there were people in the U S who were initiated by people in Mexico or whatever, someone that they had met and they had the authentic thing and it was heavily branded, heavily controlled mm -hmm. things. This was true. This wasn't true, you know, but when you go to Mexico, the grandma who's devoted to Santa Muerta, you know, in her like eighties or whatever, who's known about it, prior to the the public reception of it you know she's got all sorts of stuff on her altar like there, it, you know if it's a working altar it's a mess there's candle wax there's you know bits and pieces of stuff all over um whereas you look at the authentic ones in the u.s and they're all super clean you know it's like really like this is what it should look like you should have these things and then you find out where that was coming from and it's coming from like you know magic of saint death like five dollar like chapbook at the yeah. at the you know local yeah. botanica and the people are taking that and that's authentic you know and the people in the u.s have no idea you know because they're searching for this authentic tradition whereas the people you know in mexico or people who had adopted it sort of organically were just communing with santa muerta and doing what they do you know, um, my friend Hank in, uh, from Texas was a good example where he had visionary experiences that led him to, to Santa Muerta. And, um, you know, he's just this dude from East Texas. Um, and he uh, created altars just based on what he felt. And he, you know, he's a geo surveyor. So he had a lot of different like, you know, like elk horns and like things that he'd gotten on different jobs around the, the states and whatnot. Um, and he created these bone altars and um, people in Mexico were contacting him for work, you know, for, for magic, for higher work, for healings, for blessings. Hmm. And it was just because they saw his altar and were like, oh, that's real. 
Hank hadn't read anything. He was never initiated into anything. He just had this visionary experience that was so powerful that he started doing it, you know? Um, and the people in, you know, the people who folks in the U.S. would seek for authenticity were coming to Hank and being like, hey, like, this is real stuff. Like, can you help me, you know? Um, because it had the actual feeling of power, you know, it had the actual like presence of what it was. And it's the weird thing about this, this search for authenticity. It's always fake. Anything I wonder if, find, you know. I wonder if, I mean, I understand it. If, if, if people want to unplug from the artificiality of life as it is today, I get it. But unfortunately there's a trap that's set up for people like that. Like, okay, you've unplugged from that. Now plug into this. This is the yeah. real thing. Yeah. And so it's a trap. Yeah. It's yet another product that's waiting for them. Yeah. It's, it's you could look even broader and say that we're incapable of being authentic now because of capitalism and stuff like that as well. That we're kind of It's definitely hard, yeah. dude. It's it's yeah. hard. Yeah. I, it's like, know, I find though that like um I think a lot of the folk traditions really help with that though. You know, like in the United States, I don't know I don't know about British like folk traditions, but like just looking at like folk uh like spiritual healing and spiritual work stuff. Um, the the use of brands, right? Like a lot of stuff that like gets pulled into folk magic, like Hoyt's cologne, you know, um, whereas now it's considered, oh, that was an authentic thing that they used. But really what the interesting thing about that is the fact that they were they were hijacking the brand and they were rewriting the the brand elements, the iconography of that brand. So, you know, Hoyt's cologne had referenced, you know, their logo has certain references to things like there's like a guy in a top hat and whatever so it becomes associated with gambling you know if you have like red devil like matches right like you can use that when you need uh something that's connected to fire and and you know kind of like the devil but not in a not in like a the black magic sense but the devil is like a sort of trickster or somebody who can grant you luck or open your path kind of way um but they just took the brands you know, so you could take a cereal box. The, again, in Santa Muerta, they take heavy metal posters, right? Like, so if you've got like a, one of those just like cheap, you get it from like Spencer's Gifts or something or whatever the equivalent is in your area, but just like a moss or poster of a Grim Weeper, you can turn that into a Santa Muerta devote, devotional item, you know, and it simply takes reframing it in your mind. Um, Giordano Bruno's Expulsion of the Triumphant Beast actually outlines this whole process the whole the whole purpose of the book was rewriting the way that the constellations were seen as a different sort of mnemonic device for for uh, you know working with reality and so i think that even in capitalism there's ways for a, an individual to kind of work with that it is hard though i mean you get you get sucked into the, the other stuff but it's almost like the only way you can do it is to be rich, ironically. Isn't it? yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's the only way you can plug out of all of that yeah. stuff is to own your I mean, own. I think, the, I think the situation has had a great strategy with the, the tournament, which is where you take over the brand and, and repurpose it. Mm -hmm. You hijack yeah, yeah. the narrative. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, basically what you were describing, Dave, I kept thinking of culture jamming from the 90s. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly the same thing. It's like yeah. magical culture jamming. Yeah, it's like psychotronic yeah. culture jamming. Yeah, yep. you get like, yeah, you get like, yeah, and it's, it's it, it happens all, I mean, I, I really got clued into it looking at the Santa Marta stuff because it was amazing, like, just the re, the reworking of images, you know, and the yeah. reworking of these brand elements to create devotional items. Um, you know, Eric Davis, um, who wrote Technosis, he went down 
uh, to Mexico City. Um, and I think he went to a talk that Andrew Chestnut uh, from University, uh, Virginia Commonwealth University was giving on Santa Muerta and he visited one of the shrines and he was shocked because he was like, I felt like I was just in like, <laughs> like a, you know, like a, a metal, a metal basement room. You know what I mean? Just like the heavy metal fans, like basement room with all these posters and everything. And it was very strange to him to see this, you know, very, devo very devotionally oriented kind of thing, but made up of pop culture elements, you know, that have just been repurposed. Yeah, I wonder if the occult community is going through an authenticity thing, and this is why Gunon and people like that are kind of yeah. bubbling up to the surface, because his whole thing is looking for this kind of base spiritual principle, isn't it? It's kind of like mm -hmm. he's, try he's trying to unlock the kind of thing that the spark that set off all the Abrahamic religions and all this kind of stuff. And um, it's definitely, it's very magical in, in that sense, isn't it? Are, they, looking, yeah. are they actually engaging with his work, though? I mean, because he's he's a complex author yeah oh yeah he, i mean i think he's a scary object they like to, to yeah, wave that's around seems, and, you know yeah more of know. like a, ta a talismanic reading yep. than like yep. an actual reading because yep. his stuff is is incredibly complicated and then to truly understand it you got to go into the history of his correspondences with different people and like what the what everything was like you can't just like <laughs> jump into queen Owen and be like Wee! yeah you know, go for it you know and i wonder because he, when he moved to Egypt, he became he was convinced that the Egyptian religions, the old Egyptian religions, were, weren't even the base religions. He he was convinced that they were already kind of um, yeah, you it's know, true. Like a, yeah, and I but agree. he, uh, but so he's kind of responsible for a lot of this kind of pre-Islamic mythology that kind of seeped out. You know, that again, that's become quite a big. Uh, there's a YouTube mm -hmm. channel that I watch all the time that looks into all of that stuff. But a lot of it comes from Ganon. It's really interesting. So. Yeah. I'd, what I'd be really interested in finding out is what his sources were, you know, so sort of beyond Ginon, like, it's, and I keep sort of looking for that kind of stuff, like the kind of base magic, as it were, like kind of where the you know, ground zero. Um, so I was looking at the Sabians at one point because they seem to have um, very early forms of magic, but Ginon seems to have been pulling from somewhere else, and I, I'm really interested to find out where that well, was. It I mean, was the it was the European, and that's what I mean by kind of like reading around him is that it was the European tradition at the time. Mm. It was a um, kind of the I wouldn't say height, but one of the the high points of masonry, and and those kind of groups, compagnage, the companionship tradition, which was uh, a French kind of offshoot of masonic ideas you know um with a more mystical kind of uh practical bent in the sense that compagnage is usually associated with like um some sort of craft right like so like but not masonic they're not in the way of like masonry is but actually a craft mm -hmm. so if you're a furniture maker finding out how the very process of making a piece of furniture becomes a, a contemplative device you know, and that kind of thing. Um, I think, you know, Versluis, uh, Versluis, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Arthur uh, Versluis, has written a lot of stuff on like some of the other traditions that were around. It's, there's a lot of stuff, and this is why I was asking if they're actually reading Guinome, because, you Beautiful. know, even somebody like William Blake, William Blake was heavily influenced by mesmerism, um, heavily influenced by some like kind of offshoot uh, uh, Christian mysticism. 
that involved like trance states and psychosexual magic workings, um, which were prevalent and, and pervasive in the culture at the time that Blake was writing, but it were erased almost immediately after that. And so you don't realize that like a lot of his drawings have the penis erased from it, but the actual like reclined figure with like stuff floating around it had an erect penis because that was his meditation technique. That was his induction technique, um, you know? And so like there were, there's a lot of stuff like that that gets kind of like washed away that was just floating through society. And the same groups that, that Blake was kind of tapping into were groups that were, um, the, uh, oh, I forget his name. Um, he did stuff on parapsychology, but he was also involved in some like scrying experiments and stuff. Um, Hockley would be uh, one of the, who was actually just, he was a Rosicrucian working on scrying stuff. But those circles, like there were traditions within that stuff that, um, you know, were, were practical in the sense of how you meditate, like practice oriented. Um, and then historically oriented and trying to find the lost word, right. Or like whatever lost thread of the perennial philosophy, you know, but Guinon was, I mean, at each stage, people are searching for that authenticity. So even Guinon, while he was tapping into this kind of cultural milieu that was around, that was, you know, pushing through it, even Falconelli and that, like that, those books come out of that, the tail end of that kind of tradition, um, but even he was recreating an authenticity that's not there, right? Like, there is no, <laughs> there is no actual threat. We've got, you know, we've got word of mouth going back for how, however long, you know, and there's effective practices that can give you visionary states. Um, but there is no, there's no actually authentic, you know, kind of thing. And these things seem to be perennial because they keep tapping into things that are, they're always around, right? Like, so the polar axis of the planet yeah it's gonna be there you know i mean like these geometric figures like we know always working with the ge geometry of the circle you know the the platonic forms but really focusing in on like the triangle circle and the cross and again those are always going to be there and they're always going to have the same ways to put the information into that schemata so you rediscover it or you or you work with the other stuff and you're like oh look this is the the perennial tradition it's just geometry yeah. You know, and it's just geometry applied to culture and, and applied to human psychology and that, you know, so in that way, it's perennial. But um, this mythos and this this kind of legend tripping that that flows over it, you know, that that's unique to each culture. And Guinon was on a legend trip. Mm -hmm. He was just happened to be a very sophisticated mind that was able to create something more with it, you know. Mm -hmm. I was really struck when I was, because I've been reading Mark Sedgwick wrote a really good book recently about traditionalism. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they're um, kind of, one of the kind of, all of the traditionalists believe that society kind of broke down around the time of the Renaissance when modernity mm -hmm. sort of uh, crept in and that the only way to kind of get back to this perennial kind of um, state is by kind of, you know, it, um, it's essentially the riding the Kali Yuga thing, you know, it's this mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, uh, and I was really struck by how similar that was to accelerationism. Like, yeah. How, yeah, yeah. So you look at Nick Land's writing, Land's also seems to be, and again, he went very occult at one point, especially, yeah. I forget the name, what was the name of his little, he had like a academic group, didn't he? That, um, yeah, CCR, CCR. Yeah, oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And they moved, he moved above a spa shop or something, didn't he, at one yeah. point? And um, they, yeah. were, they basically became an occult group at that point, didn't they? But yeah. it's, kind of, it's always interesting, like, yeah, I mean, that's a wild 
bunch of people as well. <laughs> well, you know, it's like I tell people all the time, like when they ask me how old I am, I said, I'm old enough to remember when Nick Land was considered a leftist. Because <laughs> in the 80s, he was. He was oh, considered yeah. like a, Extreme a, left, a, wasn't a, a left yeah. academic. Yeah. And well, you know, here's the here's the thing. Um, as somebody who went through the went through the search oh. recently, um, you know, you may or may not remember, like around 2012, I cut off all mm. my social media, everything. I just like some people like I just heard on a podcast the other day, somebody said, oh, he's still alive when some my name was brought up. <laughs> like, I thought he was dead. I'm like, OK, um, was that that Joshua tree kind of period? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I literally yeah. lived in a cave for a while. Like I have the pictures. I lived in a cave. Um, I didn't take the pictures, but somebody else did. And they, they gave them to me afterwards. And then I went and lived in the forest for a while after that. Um, that's the hard work that people really need to do. So when people ask me, like, what do I need to do? You need to disconnect from everything. And then you need to sort out what you what you think is not authentic in quotes instead of looking for the authentic thing, first d- identify all the inauthentic, inauthentic, ah, inauthentic things in your life. And that's going to take years. Like people don't have the time or patience to do that, but that takes years to yeah. do. Yeah. And then, and then you can sit down and start sorting out what, what do I think is authentic for me? What is my, what's my authentic thing? You know, you go do some vigils in the woods, you know, like, read some Martin Shaw, those kind of things, like actually do the practice, like sit in the woods for four days without food, fucking do it, mm. you know, or shut up. That's really what it comes down to. And, and people are not in this day and age, you know, I, I understand that some people really can't do that. They can't take that chunk out of their life and do it. They can't do like I did and just like one day decide to go to the North pole for eight months, you know, like people can't do that. I get it. No, most people can't. Yeah, that's no, but I did. But I just did it. Like I, I was so desperate at that point in my life that I had to do it. It's like to me, it's like it had to be done because because otherwise I was going to live a life. I was going to end up living a life that I didn't want to live, and I had no interest in that. So if it, if it if it becomes that important, and that's how important it has to be, if it becomes that important for somebody listening to this, then you know, do that, like drop out, go live in the woods. And I mean, not for a week. I mean, for years. Mm. And then you can find yourself and then you can come back and you can navigate this crap that we call modernity. And and you can, you can look at these things that we're talking about, which are the traps that are set up for people yeah. like me. When I unplugged, I could have fallen into one of those traps. And I, I had to like completely shun everything. I get why I get why that's a tradition in a lot of mystical traditions to shun modernity because mm. it's, it's in a lot of ways a lot of ways it's necessary to like do a reset if you're young enough and you haven't imprinted really hard on, on what's going on around you you probably could you probably wouldn't have to be that you know radical about it but like because you've lived your whole life surrounded by this stuff you don't know what's going on anymore like you're 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 in seven layers of, of uh, insanity. And you're surrounded by you're surrounded by a society of sociopaths. So, you know, what do you do? You have to you have to like retreat. I guess the difference between that what you've and done and, and what the accelerationists alleged. I mean, I could be wrong here, but my take on it is that the accelerationists want to accelerate 
kind of the downfall until of, it uh, until it goes yeah, yeah. like yeah, yeah. And, and in a lot of ways it's the same urge it's just a different a different expression of it uh, on a bigger like, scale i guess it, yeah yeah i mean i've there have been times in my life that where I would have called myself an accelerationist, which is not to say that I was a, a Nazi or anything like that. But I was like, you know, like, let's just get this over with. <laughs> you know, it's like it's going there and, and nobody seems to want to stop it. So let's just let it go over the cliff so we can start over. That's what I was looking for, the start over. And you don't have to go over the cliff in any other uh, way except for yourself. Push yourself over the cliff. You know, I and, think and that- then you can you can find yourself. Yeah. One thing I figured out from Evola, especially, and from reading a little bit about accelerationism, is that it really it seems to kind of encourage elitism, and that's the kind of interesting. Yeah. Thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So because yeah. at the end of all of this, you know, when the big crash happens or whatever, it seems like it will be like the intellectual elites and the the rich that will take over and will re-enter this sort of feudalism, and it's like they both seem to end at that point, traditionalism yeah. and and uh, yeah. um, accelerationism. It's yeah. kind of that's a scary thought as well. That seems way more. I mean, everyone gets called a fascist these days. I mean, that that word right. almost has no meaning right. anymore. Uh, right. You know, as far as I'm concerned, it's not the fascism. You know, the person getting called a fascism a fascist on Twitter isn't the fascism of Mussolini or. Uh, right. You know, it's, it's it's completely changed its name. But elitism seems like something far more scary to me than yeah. than fascism. And I yeah. I really think people should look at that a bit more than trying to like. You know, point people. Yeah, but everybody's so quick to throw labels around. It's like, yeah, somebody, somebody, uh, somebody that I've known for a long time, um, you know, picked up on this leftist thing that if you're an environment, if you're a radical environmentalist, which I am, um, in that I like to protect the biosphere that I live in, (laughs) and I don't want to hand it over to corporate interests that are just going to plunder it and kill me. Um, I'm an eco fascist, apparently, though according to like some hard leftist people that I know, they called me that. And I said, what part of my philosophy is fascist? They're like, well, you know, if if you actually believe everything, blah, blah, blah. And it was like this very roundabout thing. And they were just repeating something that they'd heard that's become trendy. Yeah. But now, now I've noticed like environmentalism now is the new fascism, according to a lot of people on the left. Mm -hmm. And I don't get that. I don't, I mean, that to me feels like the the, the the interest that you know, like the uh, the embedded interests that, that are making money off of off of all this, like you know, like the plunder and the extortion, um, has brainwashed the left <laughs> into rejecting environmentalism, which environmentalism not too long ago used to be a leftist thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean. If- you watch the republicans talking about it it still is yeah <laughs> it's uh and the tories here pretend to be environmentalists but that's only because they want to get back into parliament again but it's yeah. uh it's so obvious <laughs> it's like but, yeah they're not as sneaky as they think they are i think part of it um probably is a a subconscious reaction to the fact that the the like electronic world right like we're gonna have battery everything and all the rest of yeah. it is strip mining i mean that's strip mining africa yeah and now it's turning to strip mining everywhere like you said like just killing the planet to get to mars you know and so so many of these things that have been sold as ways to protect you know natural resources and do that are actually going to lead to horrific environmental destruction yeah to make it happen. I mean, even just, I mean, just computing itself, 
the amount of rare earth material like in just a laptop and heat generation the rest of it it's crazy yeah. you yeah. know and if you look at those like look at the lithium mines the lithium mines are horror yeah it's a horror i mean that's children yeah mm. yeah by hand yeah in this day and yeah. age mining by hand yeah it's, children it's, and so how do you react to that when you when you're promoting this this idea of green which involves you know this stuff which is absolutely not green you know um and then you know it becomes the oh well if you want to protect you don't believe in this this beautiful future of you know yeah that's the thing it, it, it got it got hijacked like the narrative got hijacked because if you if you really think about it um all this like you want to talk about accelerationism think about these people that are talking about like and you know like we i, I go back to like timothy leary talking about this in the 80s when i was the whole smile thing like we need to like leave the planet yeah. and you know, and, and I remember at a, a lecture that I was at, or not a lecture, an appearance that Larry did in Chicago that I was at in the 80s. He actually said, we're like birds in a nest and we're just going to shit it up until it's too shitty to live in and then we're going to fly away. And I'm like, at that time, I was like, well, that sounds cool, you know, but no, <laughs> it really doesn't. And when, when you look at it now, like people like Elon Musk and all these people that want to talk about going to Mars, they're doing so, you know, by using up the resources of this planet. Yeah. And we have nowhere else to go if we do that, but they're on some sort of suicide kick. Like we're going to go to Mars or we're going to die going, trying to go to Mars. And it's just like, why, why do we have to do that? I don't mm. understand it. Yeah. And that, that smells like accelerationism to me. Like we're going to, we're going to, we're going to completely, you know, eat up the resources of this planet, destroy the biosphere because we're leaving. Well, it wasn't Musk. He was, um, he was, in business with one of the big accelerationists, wasn't he? Um, the PayPal guy, what's his name? Teal. Thiel. Thiel? Yeah. Peter Thiel. Yeah, he was Musk. And, and partner, Mark Andreessen, the guy who did Netscape, have you seen mm -hmm. recently? He's come out like as a as a full blown accelerationist. Oh no, I haven't seen that. Yeah, yeah. There's he wrote a manifesto that's been circulating. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so you know, like I had this vision on mushrooms in in Joshua Tree, <laughs> yeah. which I you know it, it made me laugh for like a half an hour. Um, where the mushrooms were talking to me and they said, the, the, the strategy here is that we should encourage all these people to build these ships and, and go to Mars because they're not going to make it. They probably won't survive the trip. And if they do, they won't live on Mars very long. They won't survive the radiation, you know? So let's encourage all of those people to build the ships and go. Yeah, then they'll be gone and then we can we can like restart a civilization here that's earth centric because this is yeah. where we live, man. You know, it's like mm -hmm. I, I like the whole like I grew up in the 60s when I thought I was going to be an astronaut. We all did. All the, the kids of my generation grew up drinking tang, tang and eating carnation space sticks and you know like and watching the astronauts like we all thought we were going to be that guy and to this day i still want to go to space i'd love to see this i'd love to see the earth from that position but i'm not going to do it at the cost of like where i live yeah yeah and that's what what i came away with after i unplugged for all those years that's what i came away with it's like i'm not going to let these people convince me that this is a good idea because it's really not well, and that's the, I mean, the thing, uh, you know, I think this, this is kind of the, the same thing as the conspiracy theories that fail and the ability for that worldview to continue and for that narrative to continue and to people still live in it and, and whatever. Um, if you just go out 
to whatever natural area and go go to a tree. Mm-hmm. The complexity of a tree, the complexity mm-hmm. of that process. Mm-hmm. If you can conceptualize that, like that's that's enough. You know what I mean? Like you don't need all the rest of it like that can when you start thinking of the root systems and how they talk to each other and the mushrooms and you can can be there with you don't need a a textbook to tell you that you can be there with it and feel it and see it happen yeah you know like um did you go to one of my one of my retreats dave no mm -hmm. you sound Mm -hmm. like you did no i I did this thing in the desert where i would take groups out that that had were were, uh, failing to work as a group together yeah yeah. And I'd take them out and I'd let them fail yeah. as a group. Yeah, that's, yeah, and then, where, and where then it I'd really matters. Them, yeah. yeah, I'd bring them back and show them a picture of a tree. And I'd say, see this tree? This tree did not have to read a self-help book to know how to work with what it, like with everything around it. <laughs> yeah. But you do. You did. You, you're dumber than a tree. You failed. The tree does yeah. not fail. That's, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. I just lived in the woods. I, yeah. And I still Yeah, live, you understand. That's the same live. thing I started, like, looking around and going, I don't need these self-help books. I don't need all this technology. I don't need to go to Mars. No. You know, I don't, I don't need to implant things into my body because at the end of the day, that all goes to serve capitalism. And mm-hmm. yeah. And that's, I mean, that's really the, um, make me a better worker. <laughs> yeah. I got stranded accidentally in the woods. So like, it wasn't even like it was, it was by choice moving to the woods, but I hadn't realized the, the lack of connectivity that oh i remember that period of your life yeah Yeah. then my car then my car broke down so then i literally got stuck like two miles you know on 114 acres in the woods yeah in georgia um but uh yeah like it's it's weird because like it sounds extreme but it's not like once you once you do it it's not i mean we're just so programmed to think that all of this weird hyper stimulation that we get is is natural or real and it's 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 not. I mean, there's there's subtle stimuluses that you can have that are equally as entertaining as anything. You know, I mean, like really, truly embracing a sunset and the colors and all the rest mm-hmm. of it is it's amazing, you know, and that that's not just hippie talk. You know, I mean, that's it literally is sensually like cognitively amazing if you, you know, if you actually experience it. The other night I walked out. And um, it was clear enough because, you know, winter's coming in. So the, the atmosphere is cleaning up and, and everything. Um, I could see the stars behind the stars. And, it, you know, I've been to places where you can see the whole, like, sky, yeah. you know, where it's yeah. just like, oh, my God. But this was, you know, more subtle than that. But equally as amazing to just realize, like, wow, like, there's these stars behind the stars. There's this weird mm-hmm. kind of depth there that you can go into. And if you just, you know, looking at that and like experiencing it, you know, it's amazing. It's incredible. Like I personally could do that, you know, over any kind of watching a movie or, or doing anything like that. Or if you have, if you have, you know, a dog or a cat or, or whatever. Just watch or, them. Just sit and watch yeah, them. Yeah, just sit and watch them and just, yeah. just be able to. Because the thing with like dogs or cats, animals communicate physically. Yep. You know, and everybody's like, the, you know this idea of our, our animal sentient and, and the rest of it. Well, part of it is that people don't speak physically. They don't understand the physical, the subtleties mm-hmm. of physical speaking. But when you actually spend time with animals and you realize that they're communicating all this stuff through yep. subtle gestures, through ways that they move, through how they interact with your body, yep. how you interact with their body, it's amazing, you know? And it's, it's again, for me, it's better than watching movies or, or any of that stuff i just read that um some group has identified over 110 facial expressions on a cat yeah that have meaning yeah, yeah. 
you know, and I, I tell people this, like Rupert, Rupert Sheldrake gets it, but, but some people don't get this when I say, if you spend enough time with your animals, you start to realize that there's some sort of communication is nonverbal communication that goes on between you. And it's a very complex and deep language. Yeah. And it, it doesn't have to be verbal. I mean, sometimes there is verbalization, little, little yeah. sounds and things, but mostly it's, it's posture, gesture, yeah. movement, breathing patterns. Yeah. It's like, like all this stuff is very, very important. And we, because we're so immersed in this, um, artificial world and you know i'm not just saying virtual reality but that too um there's just like this world of artificiality that we've become immersed in but we have lost touch with our animal nature and that's one of the things that like if you unplug and go away to the woods or to the cave or whatever um and i mean like do it for a long period of time you get back in touch with that and you realize that you're living in a world that you know is deep and complex, like you said, and alive. Yeah. Like one of the, one of my favorite things to do after I first got out into the desert, um, because I'd been living in large cities and large metropolitan areas for so long was to lie on a rock in the middle of the desert at night yeah. with the lights off. And I was far enough away that I was away from ambient light from any kind of civilization source. And to look at those stars you were talking yeah. about, there was, it was actually like, you could see the dimensions. Like yeah. there was, there's yeah. like some stars that were closer, that were brighter, and then some behind it, and you could you could start to see the dimensions in it, yeah. and literally just get lost for hours lying on a rock staring at the sky. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, the other night, like Jupiter, uh, it made it's, uh, Jupiter's moved farther away from the moon, but um, when the full moon was coming up, Jupiter was right next to the moon. Oh yeah. And if you watched it over the night, it actually like the way that the Earth is moving and they're moving and everything, it actually spun around it, and it was amazing. Yeah. You know, but it took like, in order to, it, you don't see that and just looking up and being like, oh, Jupiter's by the moon. Like you got to watch it over, you know, hours. You have to watch it for a period of time. Yeah. 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 And to have that. No, not just glance that. up at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've lost that sense because it's, it's take a picture of it, right? Like it's put posted online, like it's quick. You know, I want that like immediate fix, but like the fix for that is literally sitting for hours watching the sky as the moon progresses over it and Jupiter spins. And within yeah. that, even, you know, and this is where like the, the Giordano Bruno with the expulsion of the triumphant beast and the rewriting the, the mythos and stuff, you can, you can consider the different meanings to what that means. If you have a knowledge or if you've spent time studying astrology or, you know, the ways that you can map stuff out on the stars, um, it then becomes a, a deeper meditation on a narrative level as well. You know, I mean, there's so many ways that you can work with the mind and the body and the world, um, which, you know, for me at least, take up the place of technological scheming towards some sort of Martian future or something, you know. And, I'm talking, uh, talking about Martians, I noticed that our old buddy Grush was on uh, Joe Rogan. <laughs> recently yeah you know i still haven't seen that how did that <laughs> no, go I haven't. have you watched it yet i know i haven't I, yeah, yeah i know i've I'm, seen a couple of things that, that he's been on and i was like eh i'm waiting <laughs> for the press release like when they when they release the UFOs, <laughs> like then i'll i'm, I'm you know i'm good I'm, i got my stars i got my whatever you know yeah like, i'm good the he's, the rogan thing's interesting because <clears throat> rogan is in the media landscape he's way more powerful than he appears, you know, because he has such a huge uh, and popular viewer base. Yeah. So he's kind of like the crown jewel for getting, you know, uh, 
the narrative out there and for getting mm -hmm. these people out there. So they, you know, Valet was on there uh, promoting uh, that Trinity book that he did. And it's really funny to see that it's Joe Rogan who's become like the, you know, the the show to go on to get your message out to, to a mass amount of people, you know. A lot of he has more engaged viewers or listeners yeah. to his show than a than a nightly network television yeah. uh, news show yeah. does. Yeah, you're hitting. I mean, that's what you have to look at the numbers. Like he's reaching yeah. more people, and they're more engaged. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, so so for Grush to be on there, that's that's pretty you know pretty heavy. And they had just um, they had that Soul Foundation thing at Stanford, which was invitation only. Um, yeah, kind of the creme de la creme of the current. Academic. Pasolka went to that, didn't she? Was it? Pasolka. Oh yeah, she spoke that, at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, she spoke at it. Um, and yeah, it was hosted by Gary Nolan um, and a guy named Peter Scoffish, who's uh, an academic's academic, but like has done stuff with like policy work and, and that kind of thing. So hmm. he hosted it. Um, not no new revelations really. Um, Valet had a nice speech. So once they published the videos, um, if folks are enthused by Jacques Valet, um, he did kind of a retrospective, which I heard was very good. So, cool. um, of his career and that, and at the end of it, his takeaway, which was interesting because the soul foundation thing with the academic and the sort of R and D level stuff that's going on right now and the policy stuff, um, it's really focused on tech development like just that's it like that's kind of mm -hmm. the end of it you know whether it's medical technology or materials technology or whatever like it's you know or, you know creating aerospace things um but Valet said that he was um that that was not even the question you know and for him like it was the high weirdness and from here on out and he said this before but like that's his focus you know so someone who spent time in Silicon Valley, worked on the development of the internet, you know, worked on the development of AI applications for databasing and, and that kind of thing. Um, his interest now is solely in the high weird. So he doesn't even care unless it has some sort of high weird element because he's interested in kind of this good, more psycho-spiritual um, meaning behind the UFO than, you know, getting a new nuclear weapon or something out of it or yet right. another application that people can download you know it's like yeah <clears throat> yeah that's where and i'm then, at with technology too like i don't i don't do it commercially <laughs> anymore <clears throat> it's like yeah. i'm just focusing on i'm kind of returning i'm that's why i'm writing this book i'm writing which is i'm returning back to my you know first principles which is why did i start doing the meta machine it wasn't to make money it wasn't yeah. to you know it wasn't to further the cause of ai it was to talk to disembodied spirits <laughs> via Which, a computer but and the funny thing is right like that's the history of radio too like the, the there's yeah. books there's books out now um the, about you know the the just that amazing esoteric history of technology that was the um diana pasalka and i co-authored that piece for that oxford um oh yeah yeah anthology yeah. that was on the the kind of secret history of the internet yeah um you know because it all of this technology comes out of like, weird occult pursuits, you know, and like yeah. radio, telephone, and all of that, like sit right at spiritualism, you know, it's, sit right in that kind of like spiritualist milieu. And, you know, it wasn't Bell 
didn't uh, Alexander Graham Bell, wasn't he making like a spirit phone or something? Yes, he was. was yeah. I think yeah. I think Edison took a crack at it too. Maybe it was Edison. I'm thinking yeah. of Edison. Yeah, it was Edison. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen the uh, <clears throat> the Daily Mail in the UK just released a, a thing about the CIA? Uh, what's it yeah. called? Yeah. Secret Office of Global Access. I I only want so I said I was waiting for the press release, but the other thing that I, I'm waiting for always is the British tabloid coverage because it is grand and beautiful, and like if you're gonna tell this story, you tell it like a British tabloid like that. And is, usually that first, is, they're usually first. Well, because they get the leaks, right? Yeah. Like so that's yeah. what's funny about yeah. that that Daily Mail thing is hilarious because all throughout this process since 2017, um, the Sun and the Daily Mail have been used to push the narrative when it got blocked by like real, you know, the real news sources. Right. Yeah. So like, yeah. So like if the New York times won't publish, all right, we're gonna give the scoop to the sun. Uh, Kit Green did that with some of the human effects research um, that was going on. Uh, New York times and Washington post rejected it. Suddenly like the, the sun has the scoop and it's actually got an interview with Kit Green talking about it. Um, and this latest one, uh, came right after the uh, the amendment looks like it's going to be shot down if it hasn't been shot down already. The Schumer amendment, which is going to open up uh, transparency or try to put in some put in some guardrails to to get there um, for transparency on the UFO uh, recovery stuff and the, and that potential. So the Grush the Grush narrative, right? Um, but you know the nail the as soon as that started to get blocked now the daily mail has this thing from insiders which can only be a handful of people right like this is just only like so many people pushing that exact same narrative so it, it's just great to me that they use that to gray mail you know it's just such a beautiful example of the way these narratives work and are developed in the culture because okay you don't want to do the policy thing well we're going to put a tabloid thing out right and it, it, it's such a beautiful mechanism you know, that this like these because if you go back to the if you go back to the old tabloid coverage from 80s, 70s, you know, 60s and that um, a lot of it turns out to be accurate to some extent, you know, um, in terms of if not like the, you know, the, the end kind of meaning of it. But a lot of the information in it that gets leaked, you can see the same thing with the, um, the tabloids on the psychic warfare program. The tabloids covered it and said it existed and yeah there's some of the the writers and stuff were spinning tales on it but it actually was happening you know and you can look back at that and see who's quoted and see all the rest of it to see that the tabloid is this wonderful vehicle for getting information out in a way that's mixed with fact fiction um mm -hmm. you know in times when like more official sources will will refute it you know and everybody will laugh at it and they'll pass it off so you can you can put some pretty juicy things in there you know if the people know the if they have the decoder ring for what to you know see is real and what isn't real so i loved that that was a long rambling uh celebration of this the the daily mail coverage i thought it was great I was, I was very excited to see that did you see the interview with the journalist from the daily mail there was um i've got a comment which i've got it here actually what's the oh is that chris sharp was he the one who did that one um hang on a minute let me uh I'm trying to do this about breaking the, um, who did it? Here we go. 
Are you getting screen share on this app? The, the good trouble, it's called, is the is the um, YouTube channel that did it. But I'm assuming there'll probably be journalist Josh Boswell from the Daily Mail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Christopher Sharp. There you go. Yeah, yeah. libertarian type. So it's interesting. A lot of the, again, a lot of this stuff seems to be um, being attached to kind of more right leaning things, doesn't it? It's because yeah. the sun well, and the mail military are military audience. I mean, that's the that's the cool thing. Again, like just kind of like dissecting the media of this. Um, you want the military audience. These people are not trying to affect the public. At the um, at the Soul Foundation meeting, one of the slides that got uh, pushed out on Twitter um, was Defense Department guy whose name I forget, but um, was talking about uh, or he was petting out some some government official that was speaking there. Um, no offense for my just lack of caring what his name is to. Him, but, um, the uh, the slide basically was the the map of planned disclosure, right? And so the first the first thing was to get reporters to be able to report this stuff, right? And then the second tier was the academics, which is where we're at now, right? Mm -hmm. You have the Soul Foundation thing; academics are jumping in. Mm -hmm. Michael Schellenberger, who was one of the investigative journalists that did stuff on um, Grush, uh, he just got a chaired position at the University of Austin. Uh, looking at censorship in the media. So, you know, these, so, okay, so we got the academia starting to come and go into place. And then the third one was the public, right? And so the public hasn't gotten there yet. Like I've I mentioned it before, but I've tracked the Google trends. The public does not care, you know, and you can do, you can do little impromptu, ask anybody on the street, they don't care. You know, we've got recessions, we've got wars, we've got all the rest of it. Nobody cares about this UFO stuff. It was anything other than a curiosity. Um, but yeah, like the, uh, you know, bringing that, that kind of moving that authorization through the process, you know, and that's what this, like the, you know, the, the right wing leaning media, um, if you want to get it to the policymakers in the military, in the department of defense, you're not going to go on CNN, you're going to go on Fox because that's. Mm -hmm that they lean towards the military. They support the military. They have, you know, I mean, you can see the commercials and the rest of it. They're a military-leaning uh, media source. So you're going to go to them to then push that into the, where you need it to happen. And from the public, it looks like, oh, my God, all these people are, you know, deciding with the GOP or the right wing or whatever. But from an operational standpoint, that's exactly who you want to target because the people that you want to hit with your message watch that show, you know? And so, um, you know, that's, that's where, I, and doing it in the New York times, New York times is a, you know, uh, it authorizes it to then be spread on these other things. So to really like, if you map out this thing, and that's, that was something I mentioned to Greg Bishop, um, who wrote project beta, uh, that I was really hoping that with this academic stuff that we get less academics interested in whether or not UFOs exist or who's researching what or what their visionary experiences are, the rest of it. And we get academics doing what they do best, which is study dead things. And all of the media and the mediation that we've had since 2017 is dead. And we can look at that and we can map it out and we can see how it developed and we can see those, those trends. That's where it's really interesting, you know, because the rest of it, like, you know, unless you work in tech development or something like that, or, or looking to get a piece, which you're not going to, like, unless you're, unless you're the top of your field, you know, um, 
the thing that we can look at is the media and you know the academics can get seduced by the, the popularity of the subject and the kind of otherness of it um when i think what would be really effective for academia to do is study the mediation of it because we have a clear chunk here from 2017 and whatever led up to 2017 happening and the new york times piece and to now where we have congressional hearings and possible legislation and the rest of this and stanford hosting conferences you know and all of that we have this chunk of mediation we can look at that's all online it's all tracked right i mean this is all these this is all there there's no you know it's very easy to to scrape that and to see what was going on and what has gone on but i don't see anybody taking an interest in that end of it um some cultural histories and stuff like that coming out or how to frame it through like one of the latest books is how to frame it through, frame it through plato's cave and nietzsche and and that kind of thing and it's just it's mind games you know not mind games but like it's just thought experiments but there's actual practical you know academic research that could go on that i, I do hope someone somewhere picks up there we go the problem with that often is the funding too because the, the uh, people that would fund that research are kind of myopic yeah 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 and it is spicier to get you know Nobody's going to read a media history of UFO, but like if you have a book on, you know, whatever, whatever makes the, you know, more UFO oriented UFO stuff. Yeah. Whatever gets UFO Twitter salivating. Yeah. <laughs> really? That's the, you, you, you're right. That's it. What's, what's the salacious uh, aspect of it? What, what can, you know, get the, the, the hits, the clicks, the heat. <clears throat> the attention, we call it hot media. 